Welcome to the Stop Ruining My Childhood podcast. A sometimes nostalgic, sometimes cynical look back at pop culture. Join us as we revisit movies, cartoons, and live-action TV of the 80s and 90s and ask the question... Hey Megan, does this hold up or did I just ruin my childhood? Hey Steve, my name's Megan. (laughs) And I'm Steve. (laughs) And today we have a special bonus episode. Bonus! Labor Day. (laughs) Labor Day. So we thought a lot about what we should pick for Labor Day and we decided that we wanted a classic I Hate Work movie. (laughs) So that is Office Space. 1999. It's just at the very tip end of our 80s and 90s. Yeah, we're pushing it a little bit. But that's okay. It's still 90s, technically. That is very true. It's still still in the 90s, and it's still um, before I graduated college. So I guess it still counts as kind of my childhood. So you can find Office Space on Freebie. That is the um, Amazon Prime station that is ad-supported. But it is... It's uncut. Right. So it's not like the version that we got on Comedy Central that we'll talk about. Right. Yeah. It's uncut version, but it does have ads, but you can see it for free or you can rent it there. Okay. So that brings us into my favorite segment, the non-sponsored snack time. Today's non-sponsored snack is cotton candy. Yes. The old-fashioned fair summer food. And what does that have to do with office space? Well, it's the last, really, it's the end of summer. It's the end of summer. Um, and con candy, so to be fair, right now we have the kind that comes in a plastic tin. Yes. And Megan got fancy and she got blueberry jam cotton candy and maple bacon cotton candy. Yeah. And so here's the reason, <laughs> just to be honest, I did have the opportunity to get us some real cotton candy. Yeah. The problem with real cotton candy is that it's spun sugar. So if it gets a little bit of moisture in there, it's like ruined. So I didn't want to get us real like, and then I didn't know when we would be able to record. But yeah, these are kind of like the, for for our show, a a grown up version of what we grew up with, like at the fair or the circus or whatever. Also, I thought they would go together like breakfast. Now I'm going to tell you, you want to try the maple bacon while I try the blueberry? Yeah. You can swap. The blueberry smells like blueberry muffin, strawberry shortcake doll. Yeah. Like, it is definitely a distinctly, like, fakey blueberry flavor. Um, the and ca- the maple bacon tastes pretty much like maple, maple bacon. It smells like it. Yeah. It smells like maple bacon or even maple sausage links. Mmm. It smells a lot like that. These are made by Chocolate Storybook. That's the brand name? That's a brand. And where did you pick this up, Megan? Oh, I picked it up in Corning, New York. Um, if you've seen the show Blown Away, that is the glass blowing competition show. It takes place in Corning. Corning sponsors that show and they have a glass museum, which is amazing. Some of it's historical and some of it's pieces of art. They have a glass blowing factory there and they also have glass blowing classes. And then they have kind of a cute little town. And this does taste like breakfast when you put them together. Yeah. It's the, like blueberry pancakes and maple bacon the sausage. The blueberry, I like the blueberry flavor a lot too. The blueberry is, is strong. It's not overpowering, but it's strong enough. And it does taste, I guess, like, um, it does remind me of jam. Mm. You know, or like blueberry syrup. Mm-hmm. It tastes a little bit like that too. Just yeah. Just has that strong blueberry flavor. I could eat both of these. Yeah. 
I would go into a diabetic coma, but I could I could house them down in about so, five, ten minutes. This is interesting because it's kind of gourmet cotton candy. I know. So that's a bonus because I do like the maple bacon flavor. I like the blueberry flavor a lot. Um, and that's good because I normally don't like cotton candy. This is cotton candy for hipsters. Yeah. Or for I mean, adults. You don't still, like regular cotton candy? No, and this is the problem. What? And even with this a little bit. No. It, the texture is a lot like eating insulation. Yeah. Yeah, and that's you say that like it's a good thing. It's not. Listen, when I was five, my or parents- Or like eating cotton balls. My parents re-insulated like our garage and they had this, all the pink fluffy insulation. <sighs> and I was like, oh- <gasps> And my my mom had to grab. This explains a lot. This is one of my early memories. My mom had to grab me to hold me back because I was like about to run and jump onto this what I thought was like a fluffy pink cloud mm-hmm. of pink panther insulation. I love regular cotton candy. Really? Yeah. I first had it. Um. Again, another really early memory. Barnum and Bailey and the Ringling Brothers Circus. Yep. Came through when I was probably like. Maybe four. And I With think, King Tusk? Yeah. Yeah. Do you remember they had that like sheep or goat that they put a horn on and they were calling it like a unicorn? <laughs> um, and I I know that the circus has been canceled because it is, it, they do, they were really cruel to the animals. I get it. But when you're a little kid and you go to the circus, especially back then, it's like amazing. It's still amazing. I'd go to the circus today. It's just the colors and the lights and everything. Anyway, that's the first time I had cotton candy, and I was like, what is this, yeah, and how can I have this every day? It's like a day? zoo, but with showmanship. I mean, a little bit, but it's also like, it's acrobatics. And clowns. It's it, There's clowns, there's acrobats, there's animals, there's magicians, there's there's a lot going I mean, there's a reason they call it three ring or five ring, yeah. right? There's cotton candy, if you're one of those people that likes it. So, well, we could do circus talk all day. I know. Let's get to the rating. What do you rate cotton candy? Oh, this is easily, I almost gave it a 10. Oh, we have to do out of staplers today, obviously. Oh, yeah, it's definitely out of staplers. Okay. So, if you haven't been with us before, sorry for the, um, (laughs) I'm gonna stop eating this. (laughs) It's so good. It's so, so good. One out of five staplers for the snack. And one out of ten staplers for the show. Um, this is easily five staplers. Okay. Easily. So normally I would give. I normally I would give cotton candy a two. What? Megan, I've talked about this because I know it's the, insulation. The texture, I get the texture, but it melts in your mouth. It's so sugary and delicious. Usually it just tastes like cherry or like blue raspberry. It's so good. How can you not like cotton candy? No. So, I normally I would give it a two, but because of the unique flavors of the maple bacon and the blueberry jam, I'm going to push it up to a three. That's it? You're That's giving this a three. three? Three staplers for cotton candy. I don't, I feel like I don't know who I married. <laughs> That's what I feel like right now. I feel like I've been betrayed and bamboozled. <laughs> so... Four staplers out of five. Out of five. Not out of four. You don't get to boost it up. 
It's still my vote counts. That's pretty good though. Four out of five. Um, if you if you like cotton candy, you I guarantee you will love this chocolate storybook. They are not an official sponsor. This is mm-hmm. an unsponsored snack. But we're open to it. Chocolate storybook. We'll tag you. Listen, and if you're if you're we're open to any sponsorship. I would a hundred percent, and I will. I know also they had they had like twenty more flavors I could have picked from. I picked these two because I thought they'd go well together, and I I know you like bacon flavor. They had, they actually had a pickle flavor. Yeah, I wasn't bucked that I, I saw. I can't deal with. I that. mean, it was just really interesting. The yeah, amount of flavors. Anyway, let's get into Office Space, the movie. Can you give us a summary? Yeah, so Office Space is about this guy Peter who is stuck in kind of a white collar computer tech job that's very oppressive it's very cubicle what we think of when we think of being like in an office hell basically right yeah um you know where you're basically almost a number you're just stuck with a bunch of things there's a lot of weird rules a lot of uh extra supervision things like that um and so he is hypnotized to try to de-stress him but the hypnotist dies before releasing him from his like de-stressed, um, no-worries kind of trance that he's in. Mm-hmm. And so he spends the rest of the movie basically not caring anymore. So he goes through saying and doing things that most of us that have worked in this type of environment wanted to, but yes. never got the chance. Yeah. And I think that's part of the allure. Um, and he, it actually leads to a number of good things. Um, he ends up getting promoted. He ends up meeting a girl, but also ends up in a kind of bad situation as well. Uh, yeah. You know, he ends up almost in a in a white-collar criminal situation. <laughs> yeah. Um, and then at the end, of course, he kind of... He, he I think he learns a bit of a lesson by the end. Um, and we see, uh, you know, first off, that you, that you do have to do responsibilities. Uh, but also, you can kind of choose what ones are best for you. So, um, it's got a great cast. It was in 1999, as I said before. Um, and it's by Mike Judge, um, and, yeah, which I, gonna, I'm sure you're going to talk about when we get to the history. Yeah, we're going to talk about that. Um, yeah, I think that's a great. I think that's a great overview for mm-hmm. people who have never seen it. Um, first, I want to say a little something about Labor Day. Okay. So the first Labor Day celebration was September 5th, 1882, in New York City. 10,000 citizens marched for labor rights down the streets of Manhattan. Okay. Our other possible pick for today was Newsies, but Steve didn't want to watch a bunch of boys singing songs and dancing. (laughs) It would have been closer to that time, but it's around that time period, right? There's this book called Erewhon, which is like a like backwards almost for nowhere, mm-hmm. and the it's a utopian novel. And he the protagonist like taken forward in time, and he keeps asking like, now what happened with the unionists? Because uh. that was it was that big of a problem at that right. time because the average American worked twelve hours a day, six days a week. And so, um, we complain now about a 40 hour work week, 
I know. And, and people they had want, a 70 hour, 72 hour work yeah, week. Yeah. And people want a four day work week. Yeah. But, um, but we also, you know, that's the thing though. I will say, Steve, that the promise of technology was that it would ease burdens. Like if you look in the 1950s, like the housewife doesn't have to scrub the floors or, you know, she has a, a plug in vacuum and she has mm-hmm. a, a newfangled food processor and she has a better sewing machine right so all of those were supposed to be labor saving devices and i think that we're kind of seeing that they can be especially with computer technology and that maybe there isn't a need for us to do quite you know work smarter not harder i'm not arguing totally for that i'm just saying that that's one of the arguments right so the adamson (laughs) i can't do it the adam Adamson Act was passed on September 3rd, 1916, and that kind of helped to establish the modern eight-hour workday. Okay. And the the rest of the article talks about whether or not we can wear white and whether it's the official end of the hot dog season and how it is dangerous because to drive because a lot of people drink on Labor Day because it's mm. the end of the summer. Right, right. <laughs> it, it basically just became, I mean, in modern days, it just became kind of the end of the summer holiday. And it is kind of a, I mean, it's it, it does fit because it's sort of like everyone's taking their vacations for the summer. You know, it's kind of back to work, back to school. Yeah. Um, and, and it's a celebration still, I think, of you know careers and working and the fact that we have to work and 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 things of that nature um the greatest celebration of labor day in history was september 5th 1977 when i was born that's true (laughs) were you born on labor day i was born on labor day so and it's interesting because it moves around it's only happened like this year it's actually on my birthday as well yeah but it's only happened like maybe four times in my lifetime the year I was born, it was on my it was Labor Day, and as you just mentioned, the first Labor Day ever was on the fifth. Yeah, so your mother was in labor on labor on Labor Day. Yes, <laughs> I like puns so much. <laughs> yeah, so let's get into the movie which celebrates not um, it's the <laughs> it's doesn't celebrate working at all. It's the opposite. It it bemoans labor. I guess I'll put it that way. Um, So a little bit of history. I totally, completely forgot about this until I looked up the movie. I totally forgot that this was based initially on a cartoon series. Mm -hmm. There were a series of shorts and we did watch one. You can see those on YouTube. Um, I'll post them on Facebook. I haven't had time and I apologize to our listeners. I've, I've been extremely busy with my, my real job besides this one. And I haven't had time really to do the blog, but, um, I'll post it on Facebook and a lot of people have been messaging us on there as well, which is fun. Um, So, yeah, the Milton cartoon series was a series of shorts, and it first showed on Liquid Television on MTV, which also was a show that I forgot about until I did research for this particular episode. And then it also showed on, like, a late late night show, I think also on MTV. Okay. um, One that I didn't really remember. And then also, then um, he moved them over to SNL. And, um... And he was credited as a writer on SNL, and I don't know, I don't know if that's the only thing that he did for them, or if he wrote other sketches. Okay, I didn't get that deep into it, but basically, Mike Judge 
uh, did the voices in that of both Milton, the beleaguered employee, <laughs> and the boss with like the slicked back hair and the suspenders. Mm-hmm. And it was based actually on somebody that he knew. So he worked an office job for a little bit of time. Um, and this is a person who kept threatening to quit or do something if they moved his desk one more time. <laughs> and so that's kind of how it sparked things. Um, and then he kind of, he was approached apparently to do this as a movie and he did not want to do it. And instead put his efforts into Beavis and Butthead. A show that I don't know that we can do for this podcast. I don't know if I can take it. <laughs> um, then Beavis Butthead really took off for MTV. Um, and we've talked, we talked last time or the time before about how MTV, no, Nickelodeon. Yep, for Double Dare. For du- no, it wasn't. It they did do Double Dare, but it was Salute Your Shorts. Oh, okay. they didn't have money. Remember for shows like that because they were putting money into Beavis and Butthead. Yes, um, because they're connected to MTV. Um, and so at any rate, it took off. It became very popular. He kind of did what I call the circuit. Like he did all the late night right, talk, all shows the talk shows and all yep. of that. And then he did Beavis and Butthead Doom America. Right, the movie. Listen, I worked in the movie theater for this movie. It was horrific. I have never seen an opening. We used to do midnight screenings, right? And technically, because I was 16 or 17, I was supposed to go home. But it was a Friday and my parents were like, oh, you can you can stay. And my friend and I watched a different movie at midnight because that theater was full. Mm-hmm. We went in to help clean up. There was beer everywhere. Oh, wow. There was, like, beer and vomit, and it was, like, we legitimately had to call in. Like, our manager was like, just go home. And then the next day, he called in extra people from other area theaters Mm -hmm. that the the one guy owned a bunch of them. Mm -hmm. He was like, we're going to need you to help clean up. It was like a multi, like, 20 people had to clean the theater. It was horrible. Um, So, anyway... Once he did that movie, then he had some clout because it did pretty well. So that's when he came back to the idea of doing office space. And he had also by that time started on King of the Hill, which was kind of his next project. Um, so he, um, so he, he, he does office space. And one of the big things, I guess, while they were making it is that the studio executives wanted him they wanted it like a Hollywood version of an office. Right. So he had to keep saying like, no, we're not doing it on wall street. And we're like New York city will be in the background Yeah. and we're not doing it. Like there's this movie Brazil. That's like kind of a Baz Luhrmann fantasy version. Mm-hmm. He's like, we're not doing that. He's like, this has got to be like dull. Yeah. Like my office experience was. Yeah. He kept, he, he kept, having input on the production and he kept like adding to the the set and because he said he wanted the office to be oppressive like, yes he wanted it to feel that way right yes and um and also that after so they have this thing in movies and tv show tv shows sometimes but usually movies where they call it the dailies so execs get to see like what was filmed that day right, right? And they kept coming to them and they were like, more energy, more energy. And my judge was like, no. <laughs> they 
didn't want like pep, you know, because you don't have peppiness in an office cubicle, mm-hmm. right? Um, he also said that he would have rewritten the whole last third act. Okay. Which I find really interesting. And I couldn't find more details than the couple articles where he had expressed that. Mm. I couldn't... He was like... What he said was, it's obvious the way it should end. Um, And he wishes that he had done that. And I don't know what that means. <laughs> I don't know if that means, like, they all keep working. Okay. You know, I don't know. Um, There is a character who is the neighbor who will get into... Um, and that was based on somebody that he knew as well. And I don't want to talk about that now until we kind of get into that character. Sure, sure. But um, and then my last thing is this was my favorite. My favorite piece of research is from Open Culture, the online magazine. And in their film history section, they have an article called Why 1999 Was the Year of Dystopian Office Movies. <laughs> because the matrix fight club american beauty office space office space and being john malkovich wow all feature um horrific dull white collar (laughs) white collar offices so here's what they said this is a quote Unlike monster movies showing Cold War anxieties and 21st century horror movies conveying fears of acts of terror, the films of 1999 were not about surviving the present because the present was actually going well. (laughs) They were about being tired of that stable present and looking for a radically different future. Yeah. So I think that's interesting that all of those movies, what they said, all those movies have in common is that you have people in very, and they even, well, here it's not stable because there's layoffs or possible layoffs, but you have people in pretty steady careers and it's the, the fear of the mundane Yeah, that, um, I think when you look at like a different horror movie, you're concerned about like safety or survival. And here you're concerned more about like self-actualization. How can I be creative if I'm in a cubicle? The pressures of the middle class. Mm-hmm. Right, it's the pressures of having a career and all the other stuff that comes with that, right? Um, and it's interesting that that's the '90s, late '90s kind of feel with, especially the '99 movies, because I feel like this movie is a it's humorous and it's kind of lighthearted, showing that. Yeah. But it's accomplishing almost the same thing as the much darker story with Michael Douglas and falling down. Yes. And, actually, and that's like a serious dark take, but same point, really. Yeah. And that's a movie that, um, if we ever revisit, as a young teenager, I think maybe 14, 15, I thought that it was funny. I enjoyed the dark humor. As an adult, especially going through what we've gone through in this country, I don't, I don't think I would find it right. funny at all. And I think also, you know, what he, what he's facing, um, and all of that. I don't want to bring down the podcast. <laughs> um, but yeah, you're right that here it's the same subject matter treated very differently. And we did have at this point in time um, things like, you know, there was a term that we never use anymore. And that is going postal. Yeah, yeah. 
And they make fun of that on Seinfeld as well. Mm -hmm. Um, And I also think is interesting because you and I have kind of had jobs like this before, sort of, but we made some pretty deliberate decisions like to not have this kind of a job. Yeah, well, also, you know, work culture has become a little bit more casual and a little bit more um, worker friendly. Well, I think for us, but if you think about, I won't say this person's name, but we have a relative who, when they went to remote for COVID, there's software on their computer that watches their keystrokes. Yeah, that's true, I guess. And yeah. then they're told, they're, you know, this is why... I know that this kind of blew up a little bit ago because of the person who was representing the group, but there's an anti-work group on Reddit and it, it isn't, I don't want to work. It's just, I don't want to work like this Right. where you put in for paid time off. Um, I had somebody that I knew that put in for paid time off. They had not had a vacation in three years and they were told no because they were kind of holding everything together during COVID. And they were like, look, I'm burned out. And then they were told no. So they left. You know, I think that a lot of people, I think you and I are very fortunate, but also to be fair, um, we have worked our way up in our careers as well. Right. But there are a lot of people where, they are monitored for how long they're in the bathroom. They are, you know, told that they can't have time off. And this movie isn't just the office. It's also the restaurant as well. Yeah, it, it does take place in a few different And locations. I don't know that restaurants have changed that much with like... With wait staff. Hey, and you have yeah. to come in today even though it's your day off and you're in a different state. Or right. people being told like you should have asked for that time off ahead of time for like a funeral. Yeah. And then, you know, and to be honest... You know, those are the types of things that labor unions were formed initially. I'm not saying now, but initially that's what they were formed to try to get better circumstances for the workers. That mm -hmm. That's what Labor Day is kind of about. So at any rate, we'll come back and we will talk about our memories of this movie or lack thereof. And hopefully we have some because it was only 1999. <laughs> um, and then we'll get into our full review and recap. This podcast is supported by its creators and listeners like you. Help keep our show ad-free by visiting our website, StopRuiningMyChildhood.com. There you can find links to our social media. And this very podcast you're currently listening to. Both Megan and I are authors, and you can find links to our books on our About page. And on our Watch With Us page, you can find videos and links for all the shows and movies we discuss on the podcast. And more importantly, links to buy the nostalgic snacks we review as well. We also post bonus content about once a month. So like, subscribe, and follow. For a small independent podcast like ours, it really does make a difference. Thanks. All right, and we're back. My name's Megan. I'm Steve. So let's get into it. What are some of your memories of Office Space? Well, you know, I don't recall watching this in the theater. Mm -hmm. I think I saw it probably like on DVD. Um... VHS. VHS or DVD release. Mm -hmm. Um when it you know when it right after or when it was released to DVD and VHS. It's probably when I saw it the first time. And then of course Comedy Central went like did runs of this movie. Right. Yeah. And so I've seen it a lot on Comedy Central and things of that nature. But yeah, it's one of those things. I, I may have rented it once, even streaming, just to see it again, like you know, in its entirety, without without the commercial cuts and things like that. 
Um, so yeah, I remember, and I remember being hilarious. I remember my brother, Kevin and I, you know, laughing and thinking it's just, it's a funny movie. Yeah. I think the comedy central thing is interesting because this is not exactly early days of cable, but early days of really 24 hour programming becoming Mm -hmm. a thing. Um, after the OJ Simpson trial in particular, which would have been just a couple years before this, that you have CNN 24 hours. And then all of these new networks started popping up. Like back when we were little, cable was like HBO. Right. Right. So things like the USA Network and Comedy Central, they had to like find programming. Mm -hmm. So this is a movie that I don't want to step too much on reception, but it, it didn't. From what I recall, it was like not, I don't even remember it being in the theater. Right. And I did not see it in the theater for sure. I've never seen an, I've never seen the uncut version until we did it for this podcast. Oh, look at that. We did it together. (laughs) I've only seen it on Comedy Central, like edited, right? Um, And I think you're right that you'd be flipping around Comedy Central um, around this time, also got South Park, which was huge at that point. Um, and we used to watch that in my, in my sorority. Mm-hmm. It was like one of the only things for us that was like appointment TV. We'd all like get together in the common area of the yeah. dorm. 96, 97. <laughs> yeah. I remember watching it in college. So this was a couple years after that, but it was still like mm-hmm. a big, you know, big thing. And I believe that it was about this time that then I don't think it was probably in theaters for very long. It got picked up by Comedy Central. So... It would be on, like, in the common area of our dorm, and you'd walk past, and you'd be like, oh, and then eventually, like, you'd watch bits and pieces of it, and then because they'd play it, like you said, over and over, then you'd see, like, the whole thing. Right. Um. So I know now the movie, like, has many memes have been made out of it, right? And there's a lot of clips that have become GIFs. Um, But I think this was like a meme before it was like memed, right? Because people would, like, there are guys who just like, their sense of humor is just quoting movies. Yeah. And this is one of those movies, you know? Like, you would say to somebody... um, Oh, I'll I'll have to. I don't know. I, I'm kind of tired today, and they'd be like, "Oh, looks like somebody's got a case of the Mondays," right? You know, like lines lines like that. Um, or hmm, yeah, I'm gonna need that right, you know, right yeah. now, and kind of doing like a Lumberg impression and things like that. So, yeah, I have pretty fond memories of it, and just uh, <laughs> that. <laughs> that early uh, love for Comedy Central. So anyway, so let's get into it. All right, so the the full review piece. Well, first, the first thing we do in is Office Space opens is we have kind of the setup, right? Yeah. Where we get to see Peter, we meet Peter, we meet some of the surrounding characters, and what his life is like to start with. Yeah, Peter, Samir, and Michael are like the triad of the center of the film. Yes. I really like how they introduce these characters in a traffic jam because you get to see all of their very distinct personalities. Yeah. Right? First of all, we open with Mambo number five. Yeah. It is such a classic 90s song. I love it. Um, Rob Livingston is the guy who keeps trying to switch lanes and can't 
Oh yeah, Ron yeah, Livingston. And he, Ron Livingston's a great choice for Peter. Yeah. As the main character. Why do you think that? Because I think he just brings something, you know, it's interesting because initially Mike Judge was kind of being pressured to look at Ben Affleck and Matt Damon for this movie. Interesting. Because Goodwill Hunting had just been big. I was just going to say this after Goodwill Hunting. They weren't sure if they could get them because they didn't have a big budget. But they basically, the studio was like, get the biggest names you can to help Mm -hmm. promote it. And he wasn't really sold on it. And while he was trying to deal with that, Ron Livingston's agent called him and said, hey, can he read for it? And so he read with the casting agent and she and she really liked him. And then Mike Judge saw the tape and was like, yeah, I want. And he told that he basically told the studio, yeah, I want this guy. Yeah, um, it. I think it's interesting because Ron Livingston is is this kind of. To me, he's a middle actor where he's not exactly a character actor, but he's not exactly classic Hollywood leading man. He's attractive looking, but he he doesn't have like the Hollywood glam. He's everyday man. Yeah, and and he's a and he and he fits in this role because he plays a great straight man in yes. comedy. Yes, that's true. Right, all the comedy's happening around him. Or through his actions, but he's very, you know, it's funny because you mentioned that this is a super quotable movie. Yeah. But very few of the quotes come from him. No, that's true. (laughs) He's kind of the center of it, and he's kind of meant to represent how we would feel if we were in this situation, right? So that, yeah, I think you're right. Then we have my favorite... My, f- there are two bits here that are hilarious. The first is that as he's switching lanes, there's this old guy with a walker. Yes, and he's G- moving moving fast- faster than him. Than him. The second that we cut to Samir, who is just filled with fury and just slamming on his on his steering wheel. But then we come to Michael Bolton. And I never picked this up the first time. I don't know if it's because of the edits that I saw or just that now we're a little more woke in our generation um, or in our time. But he's I love that this is a, a, a very stereotypically white nerd playing hardcore, computer programmer playing hardcore gangster. Rap yes. Car. But what is really the hilarious joke? Is that when an actual African-American person comes by, he locks the doors, turns his music down, and slumps down in his feet, seat to hide. Right. So it's... So he's not gangster at all. But then no. as soon as the car drives by, he turns it back up and starts acting. But also that it's this thing of like, I think this was pretty typical in the 90s of like, you're appropriating black culture, but then you're afraid of black. Like, it's right. so racist. But it, it's a really good nod to how the character actually yeah. is. And Michael Bolden is played by David Herman, and he was the first person ever cast for the whole movie. Oh, really? That's Mike interesting. Judge knew him, and he was like, I want David Herman to play Michael Bolden. Fascinating. David Herman at the time was on Mad TV, mm-hmm. which he didn't want to be on anymore. He wanted to get out of. And Mike Judge had give, had had him do some voice work on King of the Hill. Okay. And he liked him a lot. And so he really was just trying to get out of Mad TV as well, but he wanted to do this. So he went into Mad TV and screamed his lines during during the table read for like an entire episode, and they fired him. That would do it. <laughs> that, that's so like these characters, though, too. But before anybody else was cast for the entire movie, that was the guy Mike Judge was like, I want him to play Michael Bolden. That's interesting. Um, we also see uh, Bill, the boss. 
Yeah, Bill Lombard. Lombard. And then we all, who has a reserved parking spot and is kind of whistling his way into work, right? And then we see Melvin waiting for the bus. So I think that was kind of like, those are very small details of the minor characters, but I thought that was kind of interesting as well. Yes. Okay, so now we're at work. And the classic scene that I think everybody in any, almost any job has been through this before, where... You make one small mistake (laughs) and like eight people come and talk to you about it. Yeah. The TPS reports. I think this is interesting, too, because you usually start off a movie with like an inciting incident. And I feel like they did exactly the opposite. Yeah, it was just like the inciting incident is just the the main Dane life that he has. Yes, and the annoyance and frustration. This is exactly why I don't have this kind of a job. The fact that their company works on computer software for banking for the Y two K is so nineties, right? What's hilarious when when he said that you know we're really we're all putting in extra hours for this to year 2000 switch over i was like i forgot that that's that's the whole thing yeah that's what they're doing and you know people talk about y2k like joking now um if you were not around really then and you're a younger listener (laughs) (laughs) um there was a thing where all the computers had been programmed to have two year two digit year Mm -hmm. on all the software and so there was concern that there would be a huge upset because in the year 2000 you can't have just the zero zero right so you'd have to reprogram all the software to have a four digit year instead of a two digit year um to avoid any problems and we make fun of it but the reality is that this is a problem that they came up with a solution and people like the guys at this company worked hard to make it not be a problem yeah but we all sat there like on New Year's, like, are the lights going to go out or not? Is this not? the end? <laughs> like, we, I remember we watched the ball drop in, like, different, like, it was a news thing where you would watch the ball drop in different time zones and, like, okay, Tokyo seems okay. Right. So now, <laughs> especially once the ball dropped on the East Coast for midnight, yeah. people are like, okay, well, New York Stock Exchange, like, isn't going to fall apart. Right. The lights are still on, you know, all of that. Like, the opposite of what happened with the pandemic, right? But, um, yeah, so that's kind of funny. I also love the detail of that in Michael Bolton's office cubicle, they've all decorated them a tiny bit. Mm-hmm. And if you notice in the back, he's all got these... He's got these rapper posters everywhere. <laughs> um, but, yeah, he's told three times by middle management... About the TPS reports. Right. Yeah. And he's this just is my like, purgatory, by the way. Yeah. This is like, I can't. Uh. Yeah. He's told by everybody, like, multiple times. That's all he hears about. Even when he's like, he goes and gets Samir and Michael and is like, let's go get coffee next door. Yeah. And they're like, it's like 1030. He's like, I can't deal right now. <laughs> right. And he goes, and, and even when, when they go over to have a cup of coffee, Samir's like, what's this I hear about your TPS reports? Like, his yeah. friends have heard about it already in their brain. Yeah, and I, oh, the, 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 um, the micromanagement. Yeah. That's the thing. And, you know, later some of the thing we'll get into some of the things he tells, like, the people who are doing the assessment of the workplace. But this is 
a major issue that I had with this type of work environment that like, just let me do my job. Yeah. Just let me do my job. I don't need like eight people or even one person. (laughs) Even teaching. I had that one time with somebody who like wanted to see my lesson plans. And I'm like, we we're we're in a college. I've been doing this for a while. Like, come on. Yeah. We have academic freedom. I can't deal with you. Yeah. So then at the break, we get to meet Joanna for the first time. Yes. Right. Who's played by Jennifer Aniston, which was Mike Judge's way of shutting up the studio by getting a big name. Yeah. And also, (laughs) she's really the only female in this. This is a very, because it's IT, because it's tech, especially at that time. Yeah. It's a very male driven industry. There's a couple women you see like. That are small, have small sidelines. Like, like the case of the Mondays. Right, <laughs> like, right. Yeah. Um, but yeah, she was brought in and actually even after they brought her in, the studio was concerned because her part was so small. Mm. So they added the subplot about her with her boss with the flair. Yeah, that makes sense. Just to give her a little bit more. And that was actually such an add-on that her boss, Stan, is played by Mike Judge. <laughs> He was just like, I'll do it. And (laughs) Well, it also, because of the way that they film those, it's a little disconnected, but it also gives her her own storyline. Right. So that it's not just about her boyfriend, that she really hates this job. She thinks the flair is stupid. She just wants to, this is what, what they're calling right now, quiet quitting, where, and, and quiet quitting to me is like just doing your job and. That's it. Right. <laughs> like, you're not putting in any extra effort. She's like, I'm serving the tables. Like, do I have to have, if you want 37 pieces of flair, then make that the rule. Right. Because she has 15, <laughs> which is the rule. You have to have a minimum of 15. This is the thing, too, for my job now. We do have a union, and this is the kind of thing that the union has to deal with all the time. Mm-hmm. Like, like if you want us to teach six classes all the time, then just make that be how many classes we teach. But don't tell us that we can teach five and then be like, oh, but, you know, we really need you to, if you really, if you really wanted to serve the school, you'd take that sixth. You know what I mean? <laughs> you know what I mean? It's those kind of things. Yeah. And I'm sure you've had stuff like that at your job. Yeah. One of your jobs, yeah. too, where they want you to go above and beyond. Um, but <laughs> they're not, it's not like you're getting a raise. It's not like. Like, so just for background, Steve, one time they let somebody go at the company you were at, yes. right? Yep. They had two people doing the position. They put it down to one person. Yeah. So then you were covering the whole state. Right. Did you get any extra? No, anything? no. That was just, I was just expected to cover the whole state. Yeah. Right. Just you by yourself. Yeah. To do what two people had been doing. So what, what he ended up doing was like, he'd have like a training he had to do like in Long Island and then like. A day later in Buffalo. Yeah. And then a day later up in, right. like, the Adirondacks. Right. And then back down to, like, Elmira right. or Binghamton. And you you guys don't know, like, a lot of people Those are eight, nine hours apart yes, sometimes. Yeah. That's the thing. New York State is actually a lot bigger than people realize. So it is, yeah, that's quite a bit. And, and that's just, it's those, it, there are those types of things that, like, that corporations do. To show that they just don't care about you. Right. (laughs) You know? Um, So at any rate, we have, yeah, Jennifer Aniston, and he says, no, I want to work it out with Anne. Now, I don't want to flirt with her or ask her out. I'm trying to work things out with Anne. Yes. But I have the feeling. (laughs) I have the feeling that 
and maybe cheating on me. And both his friends just go, yeah. <laughs> like, very nonchalant, but, like, completely in agreement. To the point where he's, like, he kind of side looks at him, like, what? And I kept thinking, I wonder if there were some deleted scenes. Because we only had Anne in one scene, which is the hypnosis scene. Yes. We we hear from her later. But we don't see her again. Right. It's just a hypnosis. But thing. And I guess it's not necessarily needed. But I, I think that if we had had an interaction with the two of them to show maybe that their relationship is toxic or mundane, just like his workplace. Right. Right. Um, because it is supposed to be an... <laughs> It's an occupational hypnotherapist. Yes. Instead of an occupational therapist. Right. An occupational hypnotherapist. And she wants him to go. So it's kind of seems like it's hinted at that she's pushing him to do more with his career. And that he kind of is drawn to Jennifer Aniston because they're very similar in that they're like, they just, like, they want to have a life. They just right. want to do this and get it done with and then have a life, right? And they don't care about, like, climbing the corporate ladder. Yeah. Having 28 pieces of flair. But yeah, Tina doesn't seem to be necessarily a great choice for him. And Man. doesn't seem to be completely committed. In fact, we, not long after that, we meet Lawrence, his neighbor. Yes. Played by... Diedrich Bader. So, yeah, played by Diedrich Bader from the Drew Carey show. Right. And he says to him, how's Tina been? I haven't seen you. Anne. Oh, Anne. Sorry. He says he says to him, how's Anne been? I haven't seen her a lot lately. And he said, oh, well, we've been busy. You know, sometimes I get the feeling she might be cheating on me. And Lawrence says, yeah, I get that. Yeah. <laughs> so, this is the character that was also based on somebody Mike Judge knew. Mm-hmm. And at the time that he was working in this office job, he had a neighbor who he was friends with. And the neighbor was an auto mechanic. And he was working less hours. He was outside. He was working with people, but also doing something he loved. And Mike Judge was like, this whole thing we we're like... We're told to take out crazy student loans and go to college and get a steady job. Like, I'm not happy. And this guy seems happy. Yeah. And I think that that seems to be one of the things that propelled him to do more with, like, the animation and the comedy. That even though those weren't really stable things to do, that he wanted to more, like, follow a passion. So I thought it was interesting that he, that character, obviously, like a lot of these, are nowhere in the cartoons right um but we haven't even mentioned yet milton yeah milton we meet the we meet day one and we see him milton is almost like a subplot yeah i think that was a smart choice don't you i do too yeah i think that if milton had been the main care i don't think you can carry a movie no no because he is sort of you do feel bad for him yeah but you are as annoyed with him as the other people are. And I also think this is like, these are characters in an office, right? There's the lady who's always chirpy and chipper. And there's the middle manager who doesn't really do anything but look over your shoulder. And then there's the person who is really incompetent and shouldn't be there. Yes. And they just kind of keep trying. Now here they move his desk, but in reality, I've seen people like this be shuffled from department to department. Yeah. Which is basically, they're not doing departments, but they're moving him around just to getting him like worse spot to worse spot to worse spot. In a school, what happens is that this is somebody who like they'll, they'll be in HR Mm -hmm. and they'll be horrible with people. 
So they'll move that and they'll be like, well, you know, here it doesn't seem, but you're, 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 we like you for no reason. Mm -hmm. And then they'll move them to like, now they're in like admissions. Right. And and then they're working with students and that doesn't really go too great, but it goes okay. So then they move them over to like advising. Yeah. And then eventually many times this type of person, now Milton is really supposed to be kind of a loser. Mm Mm-hmm. But many times, this is the type of person who ends up being, like, vice president of a company. Right. Because they keep failing upward, right? Or it's that principle where you're promoted, uh, you are pro- you do really well where you are, and then you're promoted to a thing that you can't do at all, and then you're incompetent. Yeah. Kind of like the middle manager here, Bill. But yeah, it's interesting to me, kind of sociologically, how that works. But um, so we also meet Tom, and Tom is worried about these consultants coming in, and he says this idea for a mat with all these conclusions on it that you jump to. Yeah, it's a terrible idea. This is if this were now, he'd have a Kickstarter campaign, yeah. but nobody would contribute. I actually think if you turned it into a game. Yeah. And then maybe if you jump to a certain conclusion, it's like a piece on a board and then you have to d- then something. But it's not. It's this, just a This mat. is the kind of guy that has an office job, but all he, he's like, he watches a lot of like history channel and yes. stuff. And he's just like, all it takes is one big idea. Like the Slinky's <laughs> yeah. guy was, you know, was, was poor. And then now he's a million dollars, right? He's mm-hmm. And so he's looking for like the one big break. This kind of, again, it, you know, thinking about it now, Steve, it reminded me of Cheers because these are all like archetypes in an office right yes like you we know somebody who worked in an office but their big idea was to do like a um a a a restaurant in a food court but it was gonna be like way different from any other thing that's ever been done in a food court before right and it'll be totally different and like will it (laughs) do you feel like that's gonna go well you know that kind of thing um, I knew somebody who wanted to sell just like in-game things, like in-game add-ons, like in an app. Yeah, in an app. Um, and they they, they quit they quit their tenured teaching position to sell in-game items, and that was going to be the big idea that they had. Oh boy! And you can do that, but you have to know the tech of what you're doing. Yeah. And this person did, and then of course, like. Then the game became less popular. Now it's no longer Nobody exists. cared, yeah. Well, and I think, too, I, if I'm not mistaken, the the developers created a thing where you could just buy the in-game stuff from them. Yeah. Like, at that. So then they didn't have that either. And then they, they were like, well, now do I go back to teaching? I have a PhD. Like, <laughs> okay. Um, and sometimes the big ideas work. I don't want to, like, put people's dreams by, yeah. but... But a lot of times they're they're dumb like this. And then we come to the hypnosis scene. Yeah, the hypnosis scene, which is really the turning point for the movie. And it's done kind of early because a lot of this movie takes place, you know, is all about what happens once he doesn't care. Yes. But, yeah, you have the, hypnos- the hypnotist and he, you can tell as he's hypnotizing Peter that he's not healthy. 
No. Like he's having chest pain. They're he's, showing he's, him sweating. He's profusely sweating. Yeah. He's barely making it through. And he just basically, you know, he's like, close your eyes. Be in a peaceful place. You have no care in the world. Nothing bothers you. Right? You're just going along. He's like, and when I, you know, after I count to three and snap my fingers, you'll be back. And he counts to three and never snaps his fingers. He keels over and has a heart attack and dies. Yeah. And Peter just kind of looks at him. Like, yeah. Okay, then. Yeah. And, uh-huh. Anna, and Anna's like, I can't believe you did nothing while the guy died. You just sat there because he's just still completely peaceful. Now, to be fair, later he does say that also seeing that guy die made him think about his priorities. Mm-hmm. So it doesn't seem to be just a magical. It's not like the like yes man. Where it's kind of similar, where he is hypnotized or makes that promise to just say yes to everything, right? Yeah, I would almost argue here that, I mean, I don't know how Mike Judge wrote it necessarily, but I would almost argue here that, I mean, we know that for the most part, most hypnosis is kind of... It's mumbo-jumbo. It's mumbo-jumbo, yeah. right? Um, you can't... you you Even people who are, you know, experienced hypnotherapists or whatever will even tell you, you can't hypnotize someone to do something they wouldn't do. Right. Right. And so I would almost argue that is he really under hypnosis or is this give him the excuse to kind of do what he wanted to do anyway? Yeah. And also what's interesting is that he does not hypnotize him to do anything except for relax. He just relaxes him. Yeah. That's the biggest thing. And I think that this this is really, to me, what leads, what I've seen in my life leads to burnout are people who are so stressed about their job and they're so worried about these little like, you know, all right, I'll fix the freaking TPS report and put the yeah. date on it correctly. Like, I already fixed it. Not a big deal. And they stress out about these little things that in the large picture really don't matter. Right. Right. Um, and. So that's all he does. All he does is relax him. And then my fa- this is one of my favorite parts of the movie. And I know it's not, I don't feel like it's not quoted. It's not as well known or anything, but he has an answering machine. It's Saturday. His boss has told him to come in on Saturday again for no extra pay. No, overtime. yeah, no pay. No over. Yeah. That's ridiculous. And he calls him and he- and then Anne calls him and he ignores it and keeps rolling over. And then how many messages does he have? Like It's like 18 or 19 it's like, messages. Yeah. It's hilarious. Bill Lumberg's on like the, one of the first messages and he's like, yeah. He, he's like, yeah, Peter, I just, I didn't know if maybe you thought we don't start the same time on Saturday yes. yet. We'll be in at the regular time. And then it's like later on, it's like, just so you know, what's well, not a half day today. Yeah. What, what I love about this are, these are the types of bosses who say things like, nobody wants to work hard yeah. anymore. And when I, when my, my husband died and I came in to work the very next day yeah. and like. Well, you know, and it's also, this is, this is a guy who's been raised up into middle management. He has no leadership skills at all. Correct. He's com- super passive aggressive. Yeah. And non-confrontational. So all he does is, he makes everything sound like a suggestion. Yeah. But he not. expects that you're going to do right. I'm going to need you to come in Saturday. Hey, buddy. It's not, hey, just wanted to let you know we start at the normal time, you know? And also doesn't fire him because he can't afford to lose yeah. him either, you know? Not it's to mention just... he probably can't. He's probably not that high up. It's so, yeah, exactly. But it's so like, oh my goodness. And then 
And then Peter eventually shows up. He parks in the lumber spot. Yes. And now he's whistling his way into work, right? And this meeting. I do not remember this, watching this part of it. It it made me so angry, like internally angry as if I was sitting there in the meeting because I've had to be at so many meetings like this and it's such nonsense. I won't swear on the show because are you talking don't. about the, the two bobs or are you talking about the two before the two bobs come up, they have a new banner that says always think is it, is this good for the company? And then and I put in my notes, the company never asks what's best for you and does not care about you. Yes. And they're lecturing them and everybody's standing for a meeting because it's a full staff, whatever. Right. They're lecturing at them about this just mundane nonsense BS. Yeah. And then, and this is the part that made me so furious. Then they say, don't forget... <laughs> Friday is Hawaiian shirt day. <laughs> so you can wear your Hawaiian shirts and maybe your blue jeans. I also know many places. I don't know if you've had this where you had to pay to wear blue jeans on yes, Friday. Yes, I've done. I've been. I, yes. When I, one of the places I taught at, one of the high schools yeah. used to have, and they would put it towards like something for the students. But they would make you pay to put in blue, yeah, to wear mm. jeans or to be casual on yeah, Friday. Yeah, and then they'd come a lot. They'd come around. I have friends and family members where the, their principal has been like, "Oh, hey, Jane, I saw you didn't put in your two dollars for the jeans, but you're wearing jeans." Yeah. Screw you. Yeah. <laughs> and for me, um, here's what here's what I've had. You're like, listen, I'm good at what I do. I have a master's degree. I teach. You're in administration because you couldn't teach usually. Well, okay, you were you tried it for a year or two. It was you got your you got your certificate and became a, an administrator. I'm be honest. That's what happens a lot of the time. Yeah. There's this saying: those who can't do teach, and those who can't teach teach gym. <laughs> and then I always add on, and those who can't teach gym become principals. Right. Because lots of people take, I'm not kidding. Now it, you're going to have gym the, teachers and administrators but that's the emailing cr- us and being so. <laughs> Listen, I will say this right now. I have two wonderful administrators. The reason that they're good is because they both taught for over 20 years. Right. If you only teach for two years and then you're an administrator for 30, you have no idea what teaching today is like. Right. It's completely different than it was when I started even 15 years ago. Yeah. And I, but for me, my, my version of this is that I sit and hear a bunch of nonsense about some quote unquote new teaching technique, evidence-based that I already learned about five years ago. Yeah. And then they tell us how to do our jobs and that we'll have to do them differently. And it's not really that different. And it's a four hour meeting. And then they say, okay, but everybody gets, gets a free lunch today for coming in. And this did happen to me very recently. (laughs) And when I went to lunch, what do you think happened, Steve? There wasn't anything you could do. There was nothing for me. Yeah, this is. I go in and it's pasta day, and there's nothing for me to eat. And I say, "Um, hi, I, 
I have celiacs and I'm gluten-free. Do you have anything? And they say, no. And I go, okay, is there a vending machine? And they say, yeah, but we haven't stocked that since the beginning of summer in May. And you you say, and you go, I'm going to burn this place down. (laughs) No, I go, okay, I'll just have my Welch's fruit snacks then. And that is what I end up doing. And I should bring my lunch. This this Hawaiian shirt thing is like, it's a Pavlovian, like, you know, motivation technique yeah. that, that they've been using on everyone since you're a child, right? Yeah. When you're in school and it's like, if everybody does their homework for three months, you'll get a pizza party, right? It's the adult version of that. Yeah. Now, from their perspective, um, Megan, you're complaining about a free lunch. Right. I mean, or we also many times are given a free cup of coffee, which I don't drink coffee. Right. I took the little coupon and I said, can I have hot chocolate? And they said, no. <laughs> so that's okay. But the thing is that, you know, from, from I think from an administrator's perspective, they would be like, but we tried. And I'd be like, right. But I just want you to like, just be kind when you see me in the hallway. <laughs> And I have that now where I work, but I haven't always. Yeah. Um, but at any rate. We, they've announced during one of the meetings as well that they have two consultants. Bob and Bob. The Bobs, which have been brought in to basically cut the fat. Yes. Right. They've come into their efficiency experts, but everyone knows they're pretty much they're, they're tomahawk guys, right? They come yes. in and they, they're hatchet men. So Tom's up first. And he's been worried about this for years. Yeah. And he tried to warn everybody. And (laughs) they go through what he does. And again, he's like a middleman who goes between the customers and the engineers. And they keep saying to him, but like, couldn't the customers just go directly? And he's like, no, I have people's Yeah. And the one Bob who does most of the talking is played by John C. McGinley. Yes. Who's... Awesome. Yeah, he's great in this. You know, most people remember him from Scrubs as Dr. Cox. Yes. He's very sarcastic. He has a presence. Um, And the funny thing is, too, he read originally for Bill Lumber. Oh, interesting. Yeah, I could see him in doing that Um, role. And and, which he would have been good. The studio kind of liked him because he was kind of known. Yeah. Um, But Gary Cole did such a, like, he read and, and Mike Judge was like, that's him. Yeah. Um, Gary Cole is one of those care, and I guess to a certain extent, John, John McGinley, although we know him more now for, because he was on Scrubs for so long, but Gary Cole is one of these character actors who like morphs into whatever character yes. they become. Um, but the, the two Bobs, what I love about how these two actors play it, they play it like they're a married couple. Yeah. It's John McGinley and Paul, <laughs> Paul Wilson. And Paul the Wilson's two of them play amazing. off each other. Yes. And you can tell that they're maybe ad-libbing a tiny bit as well. Um, so, but the yelling of I have people skills, the explanation that he, they go, so you take the things from the customers and go to the engineers while my secretary does. They're like, what do you do yeah. all day? And again, this is a type of office person that I, I have known. And typically there's no efficiency expert to figure it out. But I'm like, I don't understand what you do all day long what are you doing with your time (laughs) then we have michael bolton and they go on and on about his name you must really love his music yeah which is a huge running (laughs) gag here right everyone every time they say his name is michael bolton everyone's like the singer yeah and he hates the singer yeah um and then we we cut over to the jennifer aniston storyline because now ann's broken up with With, with Peter. With Peter on and his answer. he doesn't answering, care. On his answering machine. Because like, everything's cool. Yeah, everything's cool. Um, and he's just like, hey, why 
what are you doing for lunch? And she starts going over the special. Yeah, she's like, oh, we have. And he's like, no, no. I was asking you yeah. what you're doing for lunch. Like, do you want to have lunch with me? I, I do think, you know, Jennifer Aniston is gorgeous, but I feel like they're equally matched here that they kind of both look like guy, girl next door. Jennifer Aniston is very attractive, but she can also, she does play that, like, girl next door, like you're saying. She plays that girl next door, not average girl, but she plays, like, yeah. an everyday girl well. Yeah, and they're they're both, I feel like what's interesting to me is that, I, other than Friends, I have found, I think she's a little bit bland in terms of her performances. And I've seen Ron Livingston and other stuff, and I would kind of say the same thing about him. And here, I think that works for them, because that's that's the deal. Yeah. That's the character they're supposed to be. Now, not all the time for either one. They're, they've done other roles that are good, but there's been, like, after Friends, she did a number of movies in the late 90s, early 2000s, where yeah. um, it didn't seem to the, work. The greatest quote of this whole interaction is, I, I don't really like talking about my flair. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> It's the line read, the way she says it. She's like, mm, you know, I don't really like talking about my flair. Yeah. Because she has to talk about it all the freaking time. Yeah, all these stupid buttons that she has to wear. Like TGI Fridays and Bennigan's oh, and these types of things. Yes. And this was like the rise in the, the mid-late 90s. This was like Applebee's was everywhere. Mm-hmm. And um, TGI Fridays and all of these chain... These chain restaurants where, as he said, as her manager says, people come for the fun and the atmosphere, but, like, it's all the same kind of food. Like, it's just weird, bland American food. Yeah. You this, know? This place is Chotsky's. Chotsky's. But there's also a Flingers and something else right across the street. And like, there's three of the same type of restaurants. So, Flingers is where they're having their date. Yes. And is that where... Flingers, the, uh, the Stan, the manager, I think, is... Um, is is played by Mike Judge. Nice. Okay, so yeah. he did a little cameo in his his movie. That's kind of cool. Um, so then we go back over, um, and we find out that Milton has he's never been told that he was laid off. Yeah, yeah. They, well, we have bef- you you have before that after asking her out, Peter goes back over to work to pick something up. Because he doesn't plan on working. Right. But he goes over to get it's something. He's not going to go back. Yeah. He goes over to get yeah. something and they go, where have you been? The Bobs. You have an appointment with the Bobs. And he's like, oh, okay. <laughs> and he walks in and has probably the greatest interaction in the movie. Well, first of all, he starts pouring himself a cup water. of water. Yeah. He's not. He's he, Everyone else has been sweating in front of these two guys. Yeah. And he's just not impressed. And what he tells them. To me, I love that he is being honest here, and to me it felt very honest, too. He tells them flat out, this is kind of what you would like to tell the CEO of your company. I have no incentive to work hard. Yeah. When I do well, nobody acknowledges it. When I mess up, I have eight bosses telling me that I messed up. Yeah. And that's one of the problems with the American workplace, I think. Like, just acknowledge if you just gave a little acknowledgement more than a hawaiian shirt day yeah to people who did well gave them a little incentive they say to him what would matter stock options he goes i don't know bob he's like maybe (laughs) Maybe, i don't know i don't know and that's the thing um we know a company local company that does do that they give stock options if and people can right yeah stewards yep 
Yeah, there is a, there is a local company um, that does. It's a like a convenience store, but they give stock options to all of their their uh, employees, and they can really add up. Actually, it's and that's one of the reasons people love yeah. working there because they know it's not just that like fifteen dollars an hour. It's also some benefits that they wouldn't get in another place, right? Yeah. So. It is those. There are those kind of things, but I love that he's like. Well, I don't know if that would do it. Yeah. And he's like, he's like, you know, it's not that I'm lazy. It's just that I, I just don't care. Yeah. He's like, why should I? Like, you know, it's funny because he's just completely. They're like taken aback because he's like, he's basically says, I come in and I stare at my desk for like forty five minutes. Yeah. And then I, he's like, to be honest, I do probably like two hours of honest work in a week. <laughs> Well, I think, you know, to be honest, this is one of the reasons I think that in some companies productivity went up when everybody was home for COVID. Yeah. Because you can be more productive during that core period of time. And then you can get up and take your dog for a, I don't want to say the word W-A-L-K because our dog's in the room and she'll go nuts. Yeah. But you can take your dog for a W. Yeah. <laughs> um, For 10 minutes. And then come back in. And then when you come back in, you are you feel a little refreshed. And then you can, um, you know, take an hour and a half for lunch and do grocery shopping maybe. Or have a longer have a longer lunch or go to the gym. And you can still get all your work done in a day. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. And have a little bit more flex time. Now, for some people, it did not work well. At all. Right, right. <laughs> but I think that that's the, he's the kind of person that might have worked for. Um, so it goes into a montage yes. of him not caring about work, but like going to like he's fishing with Lawrence's neighbor um, and with Joanna. Yeah. Um and and he's he's like watching kung fu with her in his apartment, you know, which is it was neat because it kind of shows you that their relationship is progressing. Mm -hmm. Um and also that he's just not going to work. Um and then he does show up for work. Kind of when he feels like it. He does show up for work and he comes in and he grabs the maintenance guy's screwdriver and unscrews the door handle and kicks it open. Yeah. And then he takes the screwdriver with him and he unscrews his cubicle and knocks a whole wall out. And they're playing Damn It Feels Good to Be a Gangster in the background, which is the best choice of music. It's the best choice of music. So it's now he, he's able to look out the window. And I had a job where I felt like smothered there and... It was teaching, but we would have these horrible meetings like they have. And I would stare out the window and I'd just think, I could be hiking right now. Yeah. Or like, I could be fishing. I could be yeah. doing anything but this. Oh, my goodness. So great. Um, when we get back, we have this blonde guy we've never seen before, one of their coworkers. And he is telling them um, about Milton? No, about Tom. Yeah. He tells them about Tom, how Tom got laid off, and then, um, <laughs> I love this too. This is the only place where you have to suspend disbelief. Tom got laid off. Then he attempted self-harm. Yes. He changed his mind at the last minute. He backed out of his driveway and he got smashed into by a drunk driver. Yeah. And now he, he got- gets like a big, big settlement. A big settlement. But it's all happened in like a day and a half. Yeah. <laughs> and like settlements take weeks and years and whatever. But um, 
Yeah, that is kind of hysterical. And then we see him again later um, at Tom's party. Um, and in the meantime, Joanna gets fired. <laughs> or quits. It's hard to say. Yeah. She gives them the finger, literally, to express herself. Right, because she's kind of rat sick of it. But yeah, it's, there's an interesting, in the office... When when he goes back into the office, Peter, there's an interesting thing where where Bill Lumbaugh comes by and the cubicle has been opened up and thrown on the ground, and Peter is playing Tetris eating Cheetos. Yes, and Bill Bill Lumbar is like, he's like, uh, Peter, um, you know, I I I see something's happened here. Like, <laughs> you know, do you have those TPS reports? And Peter looks back and he has a dead fish that's been skinned on the TPS reports. Yeah. And he's like, no. And he's like, I'm going to need you to have them to me by the end of the day. And he's like, yeah, no, I'm not going to do that. <laughs> and this is the thing. This is the problem with a manager like Bill Lumberg, right, Who who is really passive aggressive but does not a lead. Yeah. Is it only works with people who buy into that. Right. And Peter doesn't anymore. So there's nothing he doesn't know how to, like, be the heavy hand. Correct. So he's like, um, we're, we're, I guess we're going to have to have a meeting about that, huh? And he's like, Lumberg, go away. I'm busy right now. He's like, and I got a meeting with the Bobs in a few minutes. Yeah. And Lumberg's like, what? I, I didn't know about that. He's like, yeah, they called me at home. <laughs> <laughs> Which is, by the way, the only reason he went in that day. Yeah. The fish is from his fishing trip. He was out fishing yeah. with Joanna and his neighbor. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, I think what, and then, and then, and then Bill Lumberg goes, yeah, so, and he just walks around. He just walks around him, and then Lumberg tries to, he doesn't know what to do, so he's like, uh, we'll have somebody clean this up for you. Like, he doesn't know. What's funny is that if he had kept that job, if he, he could have set that boundary. Yeah. And then that would have been, that would have been it. And he might have, like, enjoyed it more if, and you know, obviously you don't do it in that way. Yeah. But you say to your boss, like, no, I don't work on Saturdays. <laughs> you have two and then op- you get replaced you, with a recent you graduate. You have two opposites here of him who's just like, he walks over Lumberg now. Yes. And then Lumberg completely manhandling Milton. Yes, Who that's doesn't true. speak up for himself. That's true. And the desk, Milton's desk has been moved around the office, then it was put in the corner, then it was put in a storage closet. And then, then it was in a steam room in the basement. In the basement by the boiler system. Yeah. Um, and he said that was the last straw. And of course, his red swinger stapler, which didn't exist, by the way, they painted it to make it more apparent for the movie. Yeah. And then after this, swinger started making a red stapler. Well, also, the guy who plays Milton, he was wearing glasses that were so thick, he, he had to wear contacts to try to see through them. So he couldn't, he had no depth perception. Because of the glasses. So the red stapler made it easy to find the stapler when he had to, like, grab it or touch it. Yeah, in my notes I put, I thought Milton was funny as a kid, and now I just feel sorry for him. It's just making me angry and sad. It, yeah, it, it really is kind of sad. Um. If- so at any rate, we cut back to Joanna, and she's quitting because they bother her again about the flair, which is very similar to the TPS reports. It's just yeah. the, 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 the restaurant version. So she gives the finger to her manager and then some customers. Yeah. Who happen to be sitting there? Um so they he realizes um Peter realizes after the, his meeting with the Bobs that they're laying off Samir and Michael. Yeah. 
And But they want to make him manager. They're promoting him. Of four people. Yeah. Because they don't think he's been challenged enough. But <laughs> He's a straight shooter. Which is the thing that when they're meeting about him with Lumberg, he goes, well, I don't know. You know, Peter's had this problem with his GPS reports. They go, yeah. And then they take out his file. Yeah. And they go, what do you do, Lumberg? And Lumberg shuts up. Yeah. But the thing is that this is what happens with these efficiency experts that they tell you. They'll tell people at a company, well, you could fire all of these lower people and hire new recent graduates or people overseas Mm -hmm. and make more money. They never look at the fact that there are eight middle managers who are not doing anything. Right. And so what really efficiency are you you doing or looking at? Um, So at any rate, then we come to the third act. Yeah, where Michael has some software. Right, Michael has an idea in the software, and he mentioned it earlier in the the movie, but now Peter goes to him and says, would that really work? And basically, it's based off of an idea in Superman 3, the movie, which is that, you know, bank transactions all have, like, decimals, and they all have, like, percentages of pennies, right? Yes. But if you could shave off one of those and dump it into an account... It wouldn't, it's not a lot of money. It's like a, a hundredth of a penny, but thousands of transactions right. so, build up money. So let's say that they're they're doing like billable hours. Right. They, and somebody bills them for like 16 minutes. Right. So it ends up, instead of being a round number, it'll be like 13, we talk about it just in hundreds, 13.99. Yeah. But it's really 13.996. Right. So the program takes that little six, that little half right. half a penny... Then we get rounded anyway. A hay penny, as you will. (laughs) They take that little hay penny and they deposit that into this account. Right. They round it up and deposit it into account. So pennies then become eventually dollars. And it's supposed to, over many years... Over many years, it will it will end up being a lump sum Accumulate. that the three of them can split. And what happens instead, uh, Steve? Yeah, but unfortunately, one of the things that Michael Bolton had never mentioned before is that he has a reoccurring problem with decimals in the wrong places, yes! which is hilarious, so, right? So, so in, in like one day, it takes three hundred fifty thousand yeah, dollars, which they're like they're gonna know they're gonna notice that, right? Um, and of course, the idea creates a breakup with Peter and Joanna as well. Because she doesn't think... She goes, that's stealing. And he goes, no, no, no. It's just like a hundredth of a penny. He's like... he's like, A penny you don't own. He's like, but you know, like the take a penny, leave a penny trays? He's like, it's like that. But like a couple hundred thousand times. And, and what my... This is one of my... Again, Jennifer Aniston with some of these line reads. This is another great line read like i don't like talking about my flair she goes i don't know if i get it and he goes okay let me explain it again and she slurps her slurpee she's she's got a huge slurpee from 7-eleven and she goes okay i don't know why it's just such a natural like thing that you would do yeah like let me think about it while i'm drinking my drink i don't know it's just so funny but that that and the fact that he finds out at the party that she slept with Lumberg. Right. But not, it, he finds out later it was not Bill. Yes. His terrible boss. It was someone else. But between those two things, it causes the breakup. Yeah. So the 305,000, the three guys find out about it. And this is, again, old tech alert because they look up white collar crime. 
in the dictionary. And it is a big ass dictionary. Yes. That he has in his uh, apartment. And I put my notes. This was filmed in 98, the same year that Google came out. Right. So did we have Ask Jeeves? I think we had Ask Jeeves. Mm -hmm. But also they're computer programmers, but they're looking it up in a dictionary. Right. Well, probably because if there were a search history, especially at their work, it might be traced. Yeah. I'm guessing. But that was kind of funny. So Milton this entire time has been saying that he is going to... Like, this is the end, the last straw, I'm going to burn this place down. Yeah. Peter, after reconciling with Joanna, realizes that he needs to take the blame because he doesn't want his friends to have to go down for this. So he writes a note, he puts the money in an envelope, he puts it under Lumberg's door with the explanation of what he did, and then he kind of waits. Yeah. And then Milton finds his stapler, finds the envelope. Yeah, and then everyone gets to work that morning and the whole building is burned down. It's on fire. My favorite part of this is that as it's burning, the chipper lady who has a case, somebody has a case of the Mondays lady, her cubicle is shown and there's all of these Kathy and Dilbert comic strips. That are just like shriveling and burning. Yes. Because those were both like about this like middle class working Mm -hmm. experience, you know. It just made me laugh so much. It's such a good detail. Um, And then he ends up joining his friend from next door. Lawrence, yeah. He, at the construction company. Yeah, they so he gets away with it, basically, because yeah. they never... The, all, the, all the computers and everything burn up, right? Yeah. And so, um, yeah, he ends up on the work crew that's cleaning up the burnt-down building. Yeah, and he finds the red stapler. He finds the red stapler, um, and he just... He, he kind of enjoys doing it. Samir and Michael get a job at another bi- company that basically does the same thing. Right. Right, and they are like, we can get you a job too with air. And he was like, no, I kind of like this, like just out doing it. Like it's open in the, it's in the air. It's yeah. it suits him better than being in a cubicle. And again, there. I think that this was a point where people started to have the conversation of. And look, I will say this as a caveat. I'm a college professor. I think that college opens doors for people. I think it gives people opportunities. I don't, though, think it's for everyone. No. And I don't think that it has to be for everyone. And that's okay. Yeah. And there was this push. And we, we talked about this, Steve, even with the um, with Camp Nowhere, that you have to, everything is for your resume. Right. And starting in elementary school and middle school, what, what classes you take and what activities you do and you have to get into a good college and in and even at this point 80s and 90s you have to get into a good preschool right for many like income sets if you're if you're going to get into an ivy league college right if you're going to get into an ivy league college you have to start them early and they'd have like kids try to play violin at three and all of that kind of stuff Mm -hmm. and that's not the track for everybody and then what does it lead to you've had no childhood and you're in this mundane office job you hate yeah you're in a you've been you've been basically corralled into a career that you don't like that's not fulfilling and uh i i just think it was you know, he kind of learns at the end that there's nothing wrong with doing work, but you you can find work that you like. And this is a very hands-on, physical labor job mm-hmm. that 
doesn't require a college degree. And they never talk about that aspect, but right. I think it's like very heavily implied. But him that, and Lawrence are the two that are happy. <laughs> yeah. Well, and I think having said that though, Samir wanted a more stable position. Right. That's what he wanted yeah. the whole time. And Michael was a programmer. Like, and that's Michael what he liked. loved doing programming. Yeah. And so for them, that's the right path, but for him it isn't. Yeah. And I know that Mike Judge wanted to, I don't know how he thought the movie should have ended. <laughs> In this last third, maybe they go to jail, maybe they make all the money, and they burn the place down like Fight Club. I don't yeah. know. But, um, yeah, I think that, to me, it ends in a very good way. Showing Same thing with Joanna. Joanna doesn't quit waitressing altogether. Right. She likes being a waitress, sort of, to the, to the extent yeah. she likes it. She just wanted to be at a better place with cooler uniforms and... A better atmosphere. Right. Right? Like, so she just goes next door to Slingers or Zingers yeah. or whatever. Um, or fl- Flingers? Slingers and Zingers. There are, there's <laughs> yeah, like it's whatever, places. yeah. Um, so I think that, to me, it ended in a good way. Yeah. So what did what did the critics say about it? So as you kind of, you talked a little bit about you remembering theaters and things like that, right? It made $12 million in theaters, but it cost almost ten. It costs between eight and ten, so it's not that's not what people would call a success at all. No. Right? And ten you know, twelve million dollars is not a big movie block, but even in ninety nine. It was I think eighth in its opening weekend. Mm. Um and so it, it really wasn't big, although it went on to make eight million in D V D. Okay. And a VHS. Yeah, the VHS of this, I think this is one of the last movies that had a big VHS push. Yeah, it had a much bigger home release because some people saw it and then told their friends about it or, you know, it just had a bigger... And and, and, and it wasn't marketed great, mm. right? And that was something Mike Judge even kind of... He, he hated the poster, mm. which was the guy covered in all these post-it notes. Right. He said it looked kind of like Big Bird. Right. Right. And it didn't tell much about the story. Yeah. Um, Jennifer Aniston wasn't on the poster because she wasn't that big of a role. Right. Yeah. And so there really wasn't a whole lot. I mean, but they put Drew Barrymore it, on the screen poster. Yeah. It was like <laughs> office space, like work sucks or something like that. Like yeah. it wasn't very, the marketing just wasn't done great on it. The other thing, too, I think what happened from what I can recall is that so many people saw it again edited like I did on Comedy Central. Mm hmm. Wanted to own an unedited copy, and that's one of the things that kind of spurred them to to buy a VHS or a DVD of it. Yeah, I think my brother might have had a copy of my. Sorry, go ahead. That's so right. did, did, did critics it, rate it, it pretty well? Yeah, or? you know, Roger Ebert, who we've talked about before on here, gave it three out of four stars, and he said, you know, that he said Mike Judge treats his characters a little like cartoons. Mm. Um, but that that works because in this specific instance, the nuances of behavior aren't necessary because in a cubicle world like this, personalities are amplified. Yeah. And again, they're supposed to be archetypes, right? Exactly. Yeah. And so, um, you know, he thought that was pretty good. Um, uh, you know, the San Francisco Chronicle wrote that Ron Livingston, mm-hmm. um, who played Peter, was nicely cast. He's okay. a young guy whose imagination and capacity for happiness are kind of the things that make him miserable. Yes. Right? The fact that he wants to be happy. That's very... In- but also that he's kind and compassionate and that doesn't work in that environment. Yes. Yeah. Interesting. Um, I and, never thought about that. Um, and so 
but it did have a kind of a big cult following, right? Um, and so in 2008, Entertainment Weekly named Office Space one of the 100 best films from 1983 to 2008. It was 73 on the list. Why is why is it 83 to 08? It's 25 years. Oh, I was like, um, that's so, such a weird... That same, and they <laughs> also named it to a different list that year, which was they, they ranked it fifth on the list of 25 great comedies in that 25 year period. Okay, interesting. So that's a lot of that's a lot of recognition later at 2000 yeah. you're talking 9 years after release. Yeah, because look this isn't like the kind of movie you'd would win an academy award for best acting. No, nobody would. But it really is more about American culture especially at that time, but I think still to me it rings true today. My question for you is, Steve. Yes. Besides the Milton character, why do you think that kids liked this movie so much? Like, I know a lot of... My brother's four years younger than me, so he was still in high school when this came out. He and his friends loved this movie. You know, part of it, I think, is that... And this was on on the critics. I just gave you some good critical response, right? Two of the the more negative critical responses, one of them was that some critics thought that it ended abruptly. The uh, Well, the other thing is, and I think this is what connects to people, that they said it felt like this was just a movie made out of a number of sketches. That, and teenagers like that. Yeah, that makes sense to me. My, what I'm saying is that, you know, one of the qualities of Gen Xers... Is that we don't trust authority. Right. <laughs> this movie, I think, is, like Reality Bites, a very Gen X movie. In, in that all of the people are older Gen Xers, obviously, um, compared to us, right? right? But not really by that much. Um, and, yeah, there's something, there's just something about that. I don't know that Bill Lumberg would be a boomer, necessarily, though Tom would be. <laughs> But I, I just find, I think you're right. The sketch for the sketch nature of it, the fact that Comedy Central was big with young teenagers at that point. But the, the fact is that as I'm talking about it, I guess my, my point was in asking that none of them have worked in an office, right? They have, right. though, been in school. Exactly. And I think that many schools are set up a lot like this. Very much so. It's that same oppressive atmosphere. And I'm not, yeah, I was going to say, I'm not just talking about it. Yeah. Yeah. I'm not just talking about from a teacher's perspective, but you know, you and I are really big proponents of like project based education and, um, and homeschooling and things like that. And I think, um, you have to sit in a desk for eight hours a day doing mundane work that you don't understand the point of. Yeah. Kids were not designed to learn or to grow that way. And you no. were people. And no. this movie's kind of about that. And the and I think that that's one of the things that the feeling of powerlessness that comes with being a kid in that situation. It resonates. Yeah. And they can pick up on I that. I think it does. Yeah. I think that that might be why. It's very interesting. And it did pick up a lot. Like I said, um, now... This movie on Rotten Tomatoes mm-hmm. has over a hundred. Um, it has over a hundred reviews, mm-hmm. and it has an eighty percent on Rotten Tomatoes. Yeah. Um. So it's scored very highly, and many people love this movie. Like you mentioned, Office Space, and I very rarely have ever had anyone give a negative comment. Yeah, about Yeah, I never Space. hear somebody go, "Oh, I um, hate that movie." Yeah. Yeah. And, and you know, Judge himself, he was disappointed with the theater release. Obviously, I mean, twelve million is not 
huge domestic growth, right? Mm -hmm. Um, And he kind of moved on and worked on what eventually became the movie Extract. Which is also kind of set in an office and has Jason Bateman in Uh it, right? Um, For, you know, Fox suggested for that movie that he listened to them this time on casting, Mm. which might be Jason Bateman's a little bit of a bigger name Mm -hmm. than Ron Livingston. Yeah, Um, because that was after Arrested Development, before... Ozarks yeah. for Jason Bateman. Although, as he was move, working on that, yeah, as he was working on that, he soon learned that that the that actually Office Space hadn't gone unnoticed, mm-hmm. and like Jim Carrey invited him to his house, and huh. Chris Rock like left him a voicemail about it, and then like he had dinner with Madonna. Interesting. Um, you know, and uh, he just. Like, there was all these people in the industry that had seen it and liked it. Oh, that's, yeah. Well, yeah, I think that's the thing, that it it wasn't initially a critical baby. But again, you know, when you look at it by the other ones I mentioned of The Office Dystopia, being John Malkovich, um, The Matrix. Yeah. <laughs> the Fight Club. Um, it to, to me, there's markers in those that make them feel a little dated this i think you could put this out now and i think people would relate to it just as much i think it would feel like it came out other than looking things up in the dictionary yeah. <laughs> you know, even then you might only have to give one line hey we don't want to get caught let's look it up in the dictionary instead of online right you know? right but <clears throat> um the software engineering aspect of it as well so that's what the critics thought what did we think what's your overall one out of ten staplers i think i've got a for staplers here i think i've got to go with a 10 Wow. And all the, you know, I was unsure, but okay. the way I look at it is if somebody asks me, give me your top five comedies, I think this might make the list. Really? And that's how I would, if I give something a 10, it's got to be something that would make like my top five list. Okay. Right? Of com of its genre. All right. And I'm trying, and just right now, I'm trying to think of other comedies that I think would beat this out. Mm-hmm. And there are some, but not a lot. It's the kind of humor I enjoy. Yeah. You know, I'm not as funny, but I'm not into like crass kind of like fart humor. No, yeah. And this is more, it's it's just more of the kind of sarcastic humor I enjoy. Listen, after Camp Nowhere, this was a breath of fresh air. Um, so I, I would have to go with 10 staplers because okay. of that reason. So what what about you? I think um, I'm pretty high. I think... I'm probably at an eight. And my only, I, I'm kind of in between right now, and I'll say why. Oh, first of all, we never talked about Stephen Root, who plays Milton. Phenomenal. He was also in news radio. He looks totally he's different. He's a chameleon. He can take he's on a, any character. He's amazing in this. Um, You know, it's difficult for me because I've seen this or parts of this so many times that I almost had the movie, like, memorized. We haven't done Back to the Future almost for that same reason. It's hard for me to look at it with fresh eyes. Um, And I haven't seen it, I have to say. I don't think I've seen it. I don't think I've seen it in at least 10, 15 years. Okay. But I watched it so much back then on Comedy Central. Like, I'd have that on a lot, like, when I worked on stuff I, yep. um homework or grading or whatever the case may be um i like to have tv on the background um so yeah it's hard i think though looking at it completely fresh watching the full thing all the way through uncut um 
yeah, I guess I'll give it a nine. It's not in my top 10 list by any means because my, I do find it funny. I do think it is, um, it is sketches put together. I wish that there were more female characters to kind of show that aspect of things. I wish that Jennifer Aniston's part had been teased out a little bit more. I would have liked to see Rob Livingston's character, Peter, with Anne a little bit more. Um, I think that, so there's that kind of aspect. But for the most part, even though it's, you know, sketches and, and a little bit episodic, this is a solid movie. All the performances are wonderful. The tone is interesting. They do make it seem real to a certain extent. Right. <laughs> um, a realistic office space. Um, I think that I don't know that you could have the show The Office without this movie. Um, I don't. I really don't. It, and they don't have much in common other than the way that they were filmed mm -hmm. because the initial seasons of the British office and then the American were filmed like this very deliberately mundane, bland, mm -hmm. um, and little things become big issues, right? Yeah. That's kind of the, the point. So yeah. Um, yeah. So, <laughs> so you're going to go a nine. Mm, I gotta give it an eight. An eight. I'm okay. gonna give it an eight. I really did like it. It's the the female characters in this. I think if, nope. they, if there had been more, I would have given. That's it That's okay. Eight. I mean, it's, it's, it's a good pretty score good. Still. Yeah, it's really so up there. together out of staplers. Yeah. Nine, Nine staplers, staplers out of ten. Nine out of ten staplers for the movie. Office space. Office space. Damn, it feels good to be a gangster. <laughs> Okay, nine out of ten staplers for the movie, four out of five for the Cotton snack. Cotton candy. But I have to say, I might bump it down to a 3.5 because I have like some, like a coating of it still on my tongue and we've been doing this for like an over an hour That's and a half. That's what happens when you, when you eat insulation. Yeah, um, but four out of five for the snack and... Um, what we have coming up, um, we're in the middle of our cycle right now. So we just did Scooby-Doo and now we are coming into our back to school specials. Reading Rainbow. <laughs> we're going to do Reading Rainbow for our live action TV show. And then, and we don't have what is Steve willing to watch because there aren't too many episodes of the original from the right. 80s that we can find. After that, instead of a movie, we're going to do after school specials. And I'm so excited. <laughs> I'm Steve. I'm so excited. You have no idea. Um, I have been waiting for this since we started this podcast. I found them in February and I was like, I'm going to wait until September. And I, so this has been a slow burn, Steve. And I'm you're so excited. excited. And I'm excited to get past it. Yeah. <laughs> It'll be great or horrible, depending. And then for our uh, next cartoon, uh, again, a little school-themed uh, show, and that is The Magic School Bus. Um, so those are our three next shows, and that's what's coming up. Yeah. Other than that, thanks so much for listening. Have a great week. Thanks, everybody. Bye-bye. <laughs> <laughs>